Canuck Central Wednesday. It's an overrated, underrated Wednesday. You know that. Coming up later on in the program. Also on your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it. We're in the Kintec studio. Canuck Central brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust. And 14 locations to serve you. Another day as the Canucks live in crisis, Sat. Oh, yeah. Another day, another crisis. Don't look at the injury report. <laughs> the uh, So we got the president talking on Saturday. Uh, here we are on Wednesday, and the general manager uh, has uh, spoken with media today to try and um, – I don't know, like calm the waters. Is that is that is that what's happening here with the GM? You know, at the very least, be accountability, availability. Yeah. You, you know, I will say this: one thing we talked about so much last year, especially when things were going awry, and it's like, where is Jim Benning? Why is he not speaking and everything like that? And the absence of leadership was deafening. Yeah, you know, it, it spoke so loud. At least there's no absence of leadership here. You know, Rutherford, he's he's available when you ask him questions and, you know, he, he's there to get back to people when they ask. So he's there if you need a question or at least, you know, to at least be a voice to it. You're right, Hockey Night in Canada. That was after five, you know, six games into the season. And then now you have Patrick Alvin speaking. And hey, listen, the things that they're saying, they're not going to resonate with everybody. And already you heard Alvin maybe walk back some of the rebuild talk that Rutherford kind of put out in the oh, air. Oh, baby. But you know what, Dan? I think you absolutely nailed it earlier this week. Rutherford was more lamenting their situation yes. than it was him sitting there saying, oh, we got to rebuild. It came off as a exasperated bit of a joke, a lament to what's actually happening. Maybe we are in a rebuild, yada, yada. Yes. But... It took off like wildfire, and you could see <laughs> that the GM today was trying to reel that in a little bit. Well, I mean, if you watch After Hours, you you get the context of what Jim Rutherford was saying and how he <laughs> was delivering that quote. If you just saw it on Twitter, you probably had a different thought on it. Uh, in any case, Patrick Alvin uh, was asked about the idea of a rebuild here in Vancouver. Here's what he had to say. Well, uh, it's interesting, the rebuild word. I've been part of uh, um, a rebuild. I came in late uh, in a previous organization, and, and uh, we were able to rebuild and, and win three cups. Uh, um, I still think that we're, uh, we're building something here um, every day. Uh, we're not done. Uh, uh, I think that was something that we want to accomplish this summer, too, uh, uh, changing the culture, raising the bar, uh, having higher standards, and, and uh, bringing younger players, character players, and, and making sure we're always looking at the options here. So there is Patrick Alvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talking more about a build, yeah. and he's and I mean, if you want to, if you want to use a word that encapsulates what they've done since coming in, it's been a build. Yeah. They've traded away two players, Travis Hamanick. Well, three players, if you include uh, Tyler Mott, who was yeah. a you know, UFA. But they traded Travis Hamanick, traded mm-hmm. Jason Dickinson, and Tyler Mott. N- nothing earth-shattering. Yeah. But, you know, a little bit of a, you know, exodus and then bringing guys in. But the roster has been built on. They've been yeah. building. And he mentioned we're building something. If you're doing a rebuild, however you want to phrase a rebuild, we joked about capital R rebuild, lowercase yes. rebuild, however you want to you know, look at the type of rebuild or retool or whatever. Rebuild means you're also taking something away and building on top of it or renovating, you know, yes. which means you're, you're breaking something down to build it back up again to some degree. The, the subtractions haven't been enough. 
And, yeah. and that's ultimately the big, big thing here that people are looking at and saying, sure, you know, you, you are the sixth youngest team and minor Matt and Abbotsford, a good joke. Uh, how does the team manage to be, be the sixth youngest team yet still be in cap hell? I mean, it's a great question. And one they're trying to, you know, yes. solve and figure out. I mean, it's, it's a riddle for this team. But it's clear that they want to take more away to build onto it. But it's not going to be this massive, let's get rid of everybody but three players and rebuild on it. It's still a process they look at and say, hey, we want to get rid of some guys, but we're trying to build something, not just tear everything down. So the way I sort of see it, Sat, is fairly simple. You may want a rebuild. You may have always wanted a rebuild. You may look at the Vancouver Canucks as a team and say, over the last 10 years, or at least beyond the 2012-2013 campaign, it's been one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. And that is a fact. <laughs> you know, I can't dispute you on it because it is the truth. They've been this bad for 10 years now. And they never truly went all in on the rebuild, as we know. So there's this feeling that... like you miss that part of the fun. You know, it's like, we've been bad, but we didn't even get to like do the fun part where you like get rid of everything and like yeah. draft all these fun guys. We're all the trades. You, you get like 12 draft picks in a year. You're like, man, this is so fun. Yeah. And then, you know, then when you start signing contracts and making trades and actually trying to build it back up again, that's when you start to get angry as a hockey fan. <laughs> um, but you, you, you kind of like you, you miss the fun part. It's like you miss that stage of development growing up. You yeah, know? exactly. You, you you miss the fling in between. Yes. You know what I mean? You miss like, the summer fling. And yeah, you're what, like, well, where is this? You just went straight to getting married. You're like, you know. At least you saw trades. At least you saw some action. You know what I mean? It was tumultuous and it's yeah. not going anywhere right now. But hey, at least we had fun in the moment. Right. Not even a first overall pick to celebrate. <laughs> oh, hey, first overall pick. What are you talking about? It's Vancouver. They're not yeah. allowed to have first overall They're not picks, allowed so. to have those. They were close enough a couple of times. but Not happening. Drop it in the draft lot is the only way to go if you're a Vancouver Vancouver Canucks. And even then, come on, who are we kidding? But you, you kind of miss that fun part of, of being a, a Canucks fan, really. You just it, it just ended up being an angry part because you knew what the team should have done and they didn't do it. Um, but th- the problem for me now is you're not going to do that. And this organization has made it blatantly obvious to everybody, as much as you may want the rebuild, it's not coming. It wasn't coming in 2014, and it's not coming now. They fired Trevor Linden over the. Well, yeah. no, sorry, sorry. He amicably parted ways. Yes. Okay. So, so yeah, the big rebuild not coming. Right. It's, it's not coming. The as big, much as people may want it, and as much as people may think that it's yeah. the right thing for this club to do, it's not coming. They are building around 40, 43, 35, and probably nine. Because they just signed him to a seven-year extension. They just haven't done enough sub- subtractions. Yes. You know, and how different would the vibe and tenor be right now around management, around the direction of this team after a slow start, had they traded one? One of JT, Bo, or Besser. Mm-hmm. The three guys that were needed contracts this offseason to some degree, or decisions needed to be made on those three guys. Well, two of them they committed to. One was a longer JT, one was Brock Besser. You haven't done anything with Bo yet, and we'll see where that goes. Yep. But had they made one tough decision, traded one guy, today you'd be sitting here and saying, okay, well, they're clearly not trying to be all in. They have another plan in place, and they're not just building onto the core. And you know, they, They're looking at it in a big picture and saying, we have to make some tough decisions. But because they haven't made that subtraction yet, and you look at the team struggling, and then it's like, okay, well, what if they start winning now? Yeah. 
are they going to double down and triple down on this team again and say, hey, you know, we believe in this team? Or are they going to be firm and say, it's clear what this team needs and we can't get wrapped up in short-term gratification? We have to make a tough decision. I believe they're willing to make that tough decision, but they haven't hit the breaking point to make that decision yet. And they didn't get the value they wanted in making one of those decisions this offseason. But now time is, it's not running out, but you're starting to, yep. you're, you're diving into the time you have left and less and less is left before you figure something out here. And I think the vibe would be different. And I think people would have more faith in management, having a bigger picture, you know, build in place where they are going to be a little patient and, and make some trades had they made one tough decision. Because the toughest decision they've made so far was handing JT $56 million. Uh, You know, the hardest part for me to get over is the, the moves they did make in the summer. The Mikhaev contract and especially the Miller extension. Because if you just left yourself flexibility to have this season play out, let some more time on your current contracts play on and become potentially more expendable. Or if they said at their season exit meetings, Boudreaux's done a great job. We're we're going to give him another chance. And we want to see from this core that they can build on the 57-game streak that they had last year. But... Given the contracts we have on the books, it's going to be hard for us to to make significant moves around with the salary cap the way that it is. So we'll see. Just kind of temper expectations on everything and leave options open. They haven't done that to a full extent, but they still do have options open. And And the part of this that I think is very difficult, and I sympathize with management to a certain extent, Sat, is... Let's say they did trade a Garland or a Besser or one of these players, even Miller for that matter, and they got an underwhelming return, they would have gotten crushed on that too. It, it they they to a certain extent, like let's let's not lie to ourselves about this. They came into a, a situation with not a lot of great options and there was a lot of lose-lose in the scenarios that played yeah. out so far for, for Patrick Alvin. I sympathize a little. At the end of the day, as you've pointed out a lot this week, and I know you did on the PDO cast as well today with Dimitri, you've got to find ways to get things done. And I have patience because these guys have been on the job for 10 months. Yeah. You know, I have patience to let this play out. And, you know... What are these guys really going to do? Because the things I've heard, you know, when I'm talking to people around the team and trying to figure out what's going on has been consistent that don't think they completely buy into this core. Like They don't believe in the core as much as people think based on them coming back with the same team. A lot of it is based on a necessity and things not aligning for them. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, and we talked about this yesterday to some degree, but I want to bring this point back in again. We can talk about be patient, get good deals, and then at the same time, get mad about inaction. Yeah, you know, and people always bring up the examples of um, Joe Sackick with the with the Avalanche and how patient he was with the Duchesne trade and finally got the trade he wanted and it worked out, but he was getting ripped throughout it and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, you need to have uh, you need to have the fortitude to hold firm if you have something you believe in and you want to accomplish your plan. You can't just you know be whimsical about it and and, and crater as soon as things don't go the way you had hoped for. It just comes down to trust, ultimately, yeah. for me. And so far, because a lot of Canucks fans haven't seen the changes they wanted to see, 
and they're seeing the same cast of characters come out, have the same problems. And then they saw the off season with players being committed to, and they got more money and, and money's being spent to bring guys back. It's, it's not, I can understand where the skepticism comes from. I can understand where they're concerned and worried this team is going to commit the same sins they've committed in the past. And they look at it and say, are they really, is ownership really going to let them do the things they need to do? Those are the questions fans have. I believe they will. I believe management has the autonomy to do it. But until they start doing things and they start, until they start making those progressive moves and until they start you know, really getting the wheels in motion on that sort of stuff, it's hard to trust that it's going to happen until you see it. And until they deliver, they're going to have a, have a lot of skepticism around them as a management team. One of the things that stood out for me is, you know, in that, in that comment from, from Alvin, we are not done. Okay, so they're not sitting on their hands and saying we're not doing anything. Uh, they're, not, they're also definitively not saying that they are going to start to tear this down. Reality of the situation is you're seven games into the season, Sat. Seven games in. Yeah. Nobody in any sort of competitive environment and certainly in any professional sports environment for a team that had expectations is going to quit on a season because of a seven-game stretch to start the year. For sure, but also for posterity's sake, they're never going to reveal that they're going to punt on the season seven games in. Right now... There isn't a lot happening around the league. We talked to Frank Cervalli about that. Now, he made the point that, hey, if you really want to make something happen, sometimes you can. And that's the point of, do you make a trade? That's not great, but just to shake things up. And maybe that's what you do. But right now, there isn't much going on. So when you don't have a lot in terms of options for you, and there isn't a lot kind of happening around the trade market, you kind of have to wait things out a little bit here. And you have to kind of let see if you can get a few victories and, and the mood changes enough. And even if you get to 500, see, the 500 thing isn't just about, you know, being a contender for the playoffs. It's not even about, you know, avoiding getting a bottom five finish. It's to be able to have the posterity as a management team to say, hey, we're still in the race. Yeah. And when you talk to other teams about players, you have a little bit of leverage and you're not coming off as massively desperate in your pursuit of making some trades. And these things do matter. So I don't get too caught up in... Uh, what Alvin had to say about still having a chance and believing in the core and all those sort of things. It would have been worse had he showed up today and started ripping into them and saying he has no belief and they need to rebuild and that uh, they have to reconsider everything they're doing. If he does that after seven games, he looks weak. He looks like he doesn't have a plan. And the rest of the league's going to look at him and see if he's like, how do we take advantage of this situation? Because these guys look like bozos who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that's that would be... Some, like That would be a shocking thing to hear from a general manager six, seven games into the season. Uh, I, I know people want blood right now because of the way things have started and the way the last number of years have gone. Um, but it's still too early to really have a full picture of what this management group wants to do yeah. and is planning on doing. Um, but they've, you know, they, they've got to get something done. And I think they realize... More than anything, the start that this season has showed them even more that this core needs changing. But I don't think too much has changed about those they truly believe in, and that's the four players we constantly talk about. Yeah. Right? Everything else, I do believe, is on the table and is probably been talked about for this organization. Now, 
among the comments, there was a few quotes on from Bo, uh, uh, about Bo Horvat and his situation. Um, I'm not so sure it was uh, confidence-inducing for the future of Bo Horvat here in Vancouver, Sat. Yeah, I mean, how do you come back with Bo now, this upcoming yeah. season, and commit again to the cap even more? Yeah. You have to make a decision somewhere. Where is that decision coming? The only way you can keep Bo and sign and commit to him is if you're able to subtract at least one or two other forwards from your core. Because you need to shake things up. You yeah. know, you need to change the leadership. And, you know, it was interesting. What did Alvin point out today? Who's underachieved the most? Leaders. Top players on the team. You know? Yeah. When, when anytime it's a not GM... Bo specifically, but he's a part of that group. Well, I mean, he's a captain. Anytime, yeah. anytime somebody points to leadership and leaders, it includes your captain. The guy's wearing the seat. Yeah. And, and that's not to say the season is his fault. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But how do you come back with the same group of guys that have struggled... You, you, you just can't, you know, and it's been the same discussion. I think part of this team, what this team has wanted to do was maybe move out a couple of guys like Pearson, maybe Garland or whatever, and get some value back in return and have the flexibility to say, you know what, let's hold on to our centers at the very least. But right now they don't have that flexibility and it looks very, very daunting if you're tying up another seven plus million to Bo when you sign JT to eight million and you have Oliver Ekman Larson in his massive contract. We'll talk about OEL coming up a bit later. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, hey. But, you know, so, so that's kind of the situation they're in. Now, could you find a way to say, let, let's say they make a couple smart moves or something this, this summer, this, this, this season, they can trade Garland, they can trade Pearson, yeah. and all of a sudden you have over $8 million in cap space extra next year, and you're like, all right, you know what? Let's keep Bo. Maybe you can do that. Maybe that's part of the reason of they haven't made a trade yet to see if something else comes along that they can maybe you know, hold on to some of these guys. But that tough decision is going to have to come this season. And if you don't make one with other players, it's going to have to be Bo. Uh, it's interesting how the next few months are going to play out because, yeah, as much as the playoffs are uh, a difficult task now, even if they find themselves back in the race, um, there's still some difficult decisions they have to make based on what they've said about this group and what this group has shown them. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem here too, Sat, is you know, we've heard Alvin talk about and Rutherford talk about the habits, talk about the poor culture and how those things have to be better and the structure isn't good enough. All of these things, like all of these critiques of the team, even going back to last year and saying we had a hundred and five point pace and the guys did Like, good on them. They did a great job making something out of the season. And, you know, they made it fun to come back to the rink again. That was... That was good. Good on you, fellas. Pat on the back. You guys had fun. We didn't really believe it. So, (laughs) and, and like, when you hear that as a fan, and you hear that coming from management, and then they're not doing anything, I think that's part of the, the... the disconnect here between like what management is saying and how the fan base feels about what's going on. And I think part of the problem is they overpromised, underdelivered yeah. on what they were hoping to do when they first took over. Namely, mm-hmm. when Rutherford took over and you know how he criticized a lot of the players and the, the mix and he repeatedly said we have to make tough decisions, we have to shake things up and you have to maybe take a step back to take two steps forward. He said all those things. So the expectation was, all right, we're going to see some fireworks here. And again, I think they tried, but hey, listen, 
Just trying isn't good enough. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and that's not going to you, you know fly with everyone. But when you come out and say you're going to do all these things, and then you aren't able to do all those things, then there's fair to ask like what's going on here, you know? But ultimately, ultimately, I look at how they view the leadership group for this team. Yeah, and I don't think they're overall overall too impressed. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain guys they like, and it doesn't all fall on Bo because I think it goes beyond Bo. Well, here. we know who they committed to, Sat. Yeah, I know, but right? but I'm saying like in terms of you know him mentioning leaders and and guys not coming through and all that sort of stuff. I think it goes beyond just that one guy, and I think yeah. they are disappointed that they have some veterans getting paid a lot of money that aren't really doing much. Uh, yeah, and that could be more than just Bo. Yes. Right. Well, I mean, Bo is at least scoring. You yes. know, we can sit here and talk about whether it makes sense to give Bo a contract and, you know, how much he should get paid or not. And, you know, whether he's been good this season, but he has scored four goals. He has mm-hmm. had moments. Like, he hasn't been consistent. Nobody's been consistent outside of Pedersen, and even he's had some bad moments. But, like, he hasn't been the biggest problem on the ice out of their forwards. Yeah. There's been a lot of things that have been causing them issues. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a bigger discussion than just like, hey, is this a good player? Should we keep him or not? Like, that's yeah. uh, the unfortunate part for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, there's so much talk about how management uh, feels about their current coach, Bruce Boudreaux. Here is uh, what Patrick Alvin had to say about uh, Gabby. Since I, I got in here last season in January um, I think you know we were so far behind when Bruce came in here and I think uh, you know we, we he had a tremendous start there and I think he went 10 and 0 or 9 and 1 uh, and I think team started to take us light um, um, credit, credit to him and the, and the players they find um, a way to enjoy being at the rink they find a way to win games uh, but if you look at it how we played um, we had a tremendous goaltender. Um, I think Tatch Demko was the best in the league from December to the end. Um, our special teams was really good too. Uh, the five on five needed to be better in order to be a, a top team in the league. So, in that regard, it was something we we wanted to address uh, going into the season. And uh, uh, part of that was, you know, finding more structure and and. Uh, uh, structure, accountability, and, and finding a system place there. So I don't think, again, I think we're a talented team, uh, but we need to get this team um, and this group to play together as a, as a, as a group and a team. So uh, there is Patrick Alvin. Um Still not a ringing endorsement for the coach. No, and it's interesting because he talks about, the, you know, the systems are the same as last year. There isn't anything different. But then the players talk about how they're doing different things. Yeah. We could play Tyler Myers from the other night and talking about how all the changes we're trying to make aren't really working right now. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much into, like, I don't think it's necessarily, hey, um, these guys hate each other. I don't want to make this into a dramatic thing. But it's it's pretty clear that how the Canucks are playing and what they're doing isn't what management wants to see. Yeah. You know, because he talks about structure and all these sort of things, the things that need to be better. And then says things aren't really different and they just need to be better when it comes to details. So... There is a, a bit of a disconnect there in terms of what they're seeing, what they want to see, and how that's all going to come together. And to your point, the one you made earlier about, because he was asked about Boudreaux and the job he's done and the job he did last year and all that sort of stuff. And he, and he and Alvin answered by saying, well, the 57 games last year was a lot of a goaltending. Yeah. And if you look at the process, and if we, if, we step, if we step back for a second and look at the process, how we got there, it's not sustainable. It wasn't good enough. We have to change that. 
And that's what he repeatedly said again. So he's not even willing to sit here and say, well, you know what, Gabby, great job last year. Fantastic. It's like, you know, good job. I'm not going to say, you know, it wasn't a good job, but it's not like you guys played a sustainable style. We feel like is going to work here. So we want to see improvements. And I don't think Boudreaux should get fired. I don't think Boudreaux should be blamed for the shortcomings of this team this upcoming season. But the more you hear, the more it becomes evident that Boudreaux's probably not their guy beyond this season. It's also, I, I don't think, you know, when they say these things, part of it is obviously um, on the coach, but have they done anything to bring in the players that can help play this magical system that they would like to play? Um, sometimes I wonder if, if these guys, especially with all the injuries they have, they can truly execute a, a more sustainable game plan. Uh, they are not a well-put-together team, Sat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are top-heavy. They don't have a lot of puck-moving defensemen. There's issues and flaws on this team. And I wonder if you have to at some point just, you know, kind of what happened last year with Boudreaux is we just got to find ways to get results because mm-hmm. that's all we have. And I, there comes a point in the season where you start to do that in order to get some wins. And I wonder if the Canucks start to do that once again. They haven't so far, but honestly, you know, we see all the stuff here too. And we're talking about it. Like, you know, I was talking to Dimitri about this as well. Like, this team's going to bounce back. They're going to win a bunch of games. People are going to get excited again. And we'll see if they can make that push. I don't know if they can make the same push as last year. They're already behind the eight ball in a big way. They're going to have a bounce back. And whether it's next week or the week afterwards or maybe a bit later next month or whatever it is, this team's probably going to go on a run and win seven out of eight games or something. That's going to happen. You know, they're going to get healthier. They'll get on a run. Things will go a lot better. The playoffs will look like maybe not an impossibility, but an improbability, and maybe they play well enough that it becomes mm, maybe we're back into it again. Like, but so like I think all that's going to happen. You know, like yeah. I, I've never at any point through the first seven games sat here and told you or our listeners that the Canucks are doomed and they're going to be a sub eighty point team. I'm fighting with people in the text inbox that are like Dan and Campbell always brings up. You said they're going to be eighty point team. Sat people don't forget. People think they're going to be a sub-80 point team with their start. Like, they're not that bad. They fail to be the sum of their parts. They're lesser than their sum of, the sum of their parts so far this yeah. season, which means they're going to bounce back to it. What we wanted to see this year was be the best you can be and maybe be greater than the sum of your parts. And not only have they not, you know, reached that or even been greater than the sum of their parts, they're, they're lesser. You yeah. know, they're not even playing at the level they're capable of. And the, the, the thing that I'm concerned about in terms of the bounce back not being good enough to make the playoffs, Dan, is those first four games where they blew those leads and everything. It wasn't like they were perfect in those games. No. You can make the case that, hey, maybe they were even fortunate to have those leads. And you not taking advantage of good fortune mm-hmm. doesn't mean you get good fortune later. Usually things bounce back if you get unlucky, then you get lucky later and things balance out over the course of a long season. But bad seasons happen when you don't take advantage of your luck. Yeah. And once your luck is gone, you're not getting it back again. You know, and, and, and that's my concern here is that they needed a bounce back after the first four games, at least get a couple points here and there, and they didn't. You know? and, and they weren't able to get that one extra win they needed. And people were like, well, it's only one win. Look, look at last year. Look at how this adds up. Before you know it, the gap is too big to make up. I think they're going to get back into it and make it interesting. They're going to be an over 500 team. They'll probably get 90 points even, depending on what types of moves that they make. But 
how do you react to that bounce back happening? And how does the team view it if that happens? It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Keep your thoughts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650, 650 for our live listeners. Those that are listening on podcast, we appreciate you as well. Kevin Woodley is coming up next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central, Dan Richo, and Satyar Shah coming to you from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canuck Central brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust. And 14 locations to serve you. Uh, talked about how Phil Kessel is not a Hall of Famer yesterday on the show set. Uh, he goes out last night, scores his 400th goal. Mm-hmm. Plays really well against the San Jose Sharks. Shouts to Phil, man. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Nice NHL career. Yeah. Not a Hall of Famer. Does seem like... Um, I, I know uh, Jeff and Elliot kind of touched on this today, but in terms of like unbreakable records, that might be like one of them. <laughs> To play 990 straight games in the National Hockey League, I know we've had a couple of guys sort of flirt with the Ironman streak over the last couple of years. Obviously, Yandel, everybody remembers Cogs, Cogliano, Cogliano, sorry. Um, you know, crying when he got suspended and his Ironman streak was broken. So we've had a few guys get there, but I, I don't know. There's just too many things that could happen for a for a guy to get to 990 consecutive games. And Phil's going to get over 1,000. Like he, he is. He is. I mean, he's had a great career, a fantastic yeah. career. And, and I do think the discussions around him have been generally unfair. Yes. Like, I think that people uh, make him out to be something he's not. Like, people say, oh, he's fat, Phil. Apparently, people, like, he's actually, like, in yeah. pretty good shape. Like, and he apparently is a beast in the lock in the, in the weight room and stuff like that, too. Like, he's not just some dude who shows up and is all flabby and out of shape. Like, he looks like it with his facial features and yes. his hair hairline and everything. He looks sloppy and all that. There but- is, like, a, a like a, you know, genius uh, in your grade, uh, I don't know, 12 calculus class. Like, he just sleeps in the back part of the room and he's able to, to ace every test. Like, there is part of that to Phil. But, yeah, I mean, he's still... He's still a professional athlete at the end of the day, right? No, yeah, well, of course. But he's also, like, far more accomplished than people give him credit for, far more mm-hmm. effective than people give him credit for. And, yeah, I mean, maybe sometimes people get too ca- caught up in uh, the he's going to be great and, yeah. you know, he's he's a Hall of Famer or whatever. But, you know, he was one of the premier goal scorers for a while in the league, you know? Uh, he absolutely was. And still a pretty good pretty good hockey player as well. Uh, all right, let's bring in our next guest. He's uh, Kevin Woodley, the goalie guru in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Covering the Canucks joins us uh, every Wednesday here on Canucks Central. Uh, Phil Kessel, you have a thought on Phil the Thrill? Wouldn't want to face that shot. Like it's funny, I heard you guys talking like unkept and sort of, you know, describing his physical features. And you know, I, I, I thought I was getting a really bad introduction for a while there. <laughs> you mentioned, and then you mentioned Phil and professional athlete, and I'm whoo, they're not talking about me. He's kind of like a, like like on the goalie side. Um, and I don't think we ever thought of him because he battled so hard. Like, so he got that sort of, you know, that hardworking moniker. Nobody ever thought of him as, as not being dedicated to his craft, but he kind of looked like an unmade bed when he played. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Tim Thomas, right? Like, mm-hmm. and he was kind of built like sort of, you know, short and square, frankly. Right. Like, but yeah, I don't know that if you saw him on the street that you would have been like, 
hey, like that guy's a professional goaltender, let alone that guy's a, you know, Stanley Cup, multiple Vezina Trophy winning goaltender. So that's not always, uh, looks can be deceiving, right? Yeah, well, of course it is. I mean, looks can be deceiving. Like this Canucks team, they shouldn't be as bad as they are, right? <laughs> they, or, they, or they are? They, or, they, should, or they shouldn't be? <laughs> shouldn't be quite this bad. Yeah. So I, I saw something earlier this week, Woodley. Um, uh, I think it was from uh, Micah McCurdy, who does some great analytic stuff uh, on, on on the hockey Twitter verse, and he basically breaks it down. and And I'm I might be oversimplifying it, but essentially saying, you know, the the Canucks are very similar to the team that they were last year. They're just not getting the saves that they were getting last year. Is it? Do you see it that way with the Canucks, or is it uh, worse than that? I'd be interested to see what what he has. I find that the public data does not um, measure how bad they are defensively, right. or, or at least it hasn't in the past, because what's the one thing the public data never has? has, has there, it's not a part of of NHL play-by-play in any way, yes. shape, or form. Yeah, it's not, it's not context. There's no, yeah, there's no context to... to there, well, there is no backdoor stuff, right? Yeah. And I haven't had a chance. My aim was to actually do this before we talked today, um, but then Alvin surprised us by speaking, <laughs> and I had to write a story, and it's yeah. been a scramble ever since. I want to go through and like count how many of the, the goals are backdoor. Like, just straight across the ice, seam, one-timers on the other side. Like, there's been a lot. And again... This, but this isn't. He, he's not wrong in that they got Vesna caliber goaltending last year, and and Alvin said that today, right? Like Thatcher Demko masked a lot of our deficiencies, especially at five on five. Um, the penalty kills bad again, and he's you know he's he's not masking it to the degree he was last year, mm-hmm. and it's just a little off. And we talked, I you know I talked about this last week. Like my favorite favorite example. Or I guess just maybe to me as a goalie guy, the, the, the example that jumps out to me is the Minnesota game, right? Like Kaprizov comes down the wing, and he's, he gets around the hash marks, and that's where Thatcher maybe starts entering into his reverse VHS post play. And he just goes in a touch early. And as he's going to his right to drop into that post, as Kaprizov, he's expecting him, anticipating maybe rather than waiting till it gets there, for him to, to get into a sharp angle situation... He passes it into the middle. Now I'm moving right, the puck's moving left, and I'm a I'm just a half second behind. Hey, mistake. Bit of a bit of an early read, went a little early, got caught. So then what happens on the tying goal in the third period? They put it down into a sharp angle situation, and there's a slight hesitation. Hey, I went a little too early last time. I'm just gonna hold edges here for one more second and and instead of hammering into that post the way he normally does, that half second is the delay where Zuccarello makes a hell of a tip just over under the blocker and over the path. And that's sort of how it can go as a goalie. It can snowball on you a little. Like, man, I go in too early, I get burned. I go in too late, I get burned. Like, um, it feels like there's a little bit of that right now. It's just, it's right there. Even the two-on-one, like, Svechnikov hammers that. That's a goal on every goalie in the league. But Demko gets there and just can't quite see it, seal it up, right? Like, like that's not criticism because that's a great goal and that's a seam on the PK that just can't be there. Um, but he still has a chance and he's just not coming up with as many of those as he was last year. And that's the problem as Alvin intimated today with having a team that relies on Vezina caliber goaltending to have a chance because you're not always going to get that 
and you're certainly not going to be able to count on it from start to finish in a season. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and that's the big thing, and this is why there's so much variance in goaltender performance year to year as well, right, Kevin? Because not only does it really depend on a goalie being able to handle an environment, but an environment, just because it's bad one year, doesn't mean it can't be even worse next year. And if things start happening that go against your strengths and that doubt starts coming in, how hard is it for you to be able to play at that you know superior level again? Yeah, no, I, I think the one thing... Uh, because I don't think he's that far off, but I think the one thing that changes, like they're not giving up the volume they were before. Carolina's different, right? Yeah, I know it's 39 shots, but Carolina throws everything at the net. They always rack up the shots. But look at the other teams. Like, look at the Edmonton game. Like, how many shots, but how many of them were high danger? Like, almost half. And I don't know how much of that is the way the Canucks are defending and, and some subtle differences in there, or how much of that is teams are just not taking those shots anymore. Like more and more teams are starting to view those shots as turnovers, as a warm-up for the other goalie. And, and sort of a lack of them as a goaltender, when you're still facing all the high danger, but you don't have the stuff from outside to feel your way in, to feel good about yourself. Like those are easy touches. Those are what I call 99 percenters. Every goalie loves them. Carolina goalies used to tell me they hated it because that's all they used to do at the other end. He's like, we... I remember Cam Ward saying, all we do is go down and warm the other guy up for the first 15 minutes, and then my first shot's a two-on-one. And there's a – I'm not saying the Canucks are to that extreme, but there is, they're not giving up as many shots short of the Carolina game, but they are still giving up quality. And so that's an adjustment. Just like we talked about Marks from going to Calgary, and he'd have to actually adjust to playing behind a good team, the timing, the rhythm, the feel, the pressure points of it when – you're not seeing as many shots. Like, that's different. And there's an adjustment period there, and that may be part of what Patrick Demko is going through here. He's still seeing the volume of high quality, but he's not getting those easy touches that let you feel your way into a game like he was last year. Because remember, Travis always used to say this. The shot totals would be huge, and he'd be like, yeah, but a lot of them were from the outside. And he wasn't wrong. A lot of them were. A lot of them were also from the middle and across the ice and off slot line passes, but a lot of them were also from the outside. Like, to me, it was, in some ways a little easier as a goalie because, yeah, they gave up a ton of great A's last year, just like they still are now. But they also gave did, did surrender a lot of shots from the outside, which allowed you to sort of not just build a rhythm and a timing and feel good about yourself, also padded your stats a little bit. And right now he's not getting those, he's just getting the other ones. Kevin Woodley, our guest here on Canuck Central. So uh, the uh, the R word has returned to uh, to Vancouver, uh, rebuild or or not. Um, ra- rather than than looking at it that way with the Canucks, like what's your view on on how this start of the season uh, maybe shapes the way this front office moves forward with the club they have? Well, so I, I one of the couple comments that jumped out to me, like it was no secret at the end of last season that this management group wasn't as enamored mm-hmm. with the way they finished last year as maybe the fan base was, right? Like they pointed out the problems, you know, Rutherford pointed up the zone exit issues. Um, they talked about the five on five play. They talked about the fact they were a team that, you know, was propped up by really good goaltending last year. And that maybe that isn't the way to build moving forward. I thought it was interesting. Like the one that jumped out to me today that I hadn't heard them point to or lean on was, was Alvin saying that he felt like part of that run last year was teams taking them lightly because of the start they were at, because they got off to such a bad start that when teams saw them later in the schedule, they weren't treating them the same way maybe they are now. And an intimation that maybe his players weren't ready for that. 
and 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 we talked he talked also about you know like we hear a lot about structure um but to me it's more about the habits within that structure like yes. who's doing the right things all the time within that structure and and, and I don't know that the systems change in the back end set. We talked about this post yeah. game the other day, but there are nuances within it in terms of how they, like there's a lot of talk about puck support today and how they support the puck and when and where they go to support each other. And the puck has changed a little bit in talking to players. Um, and do you do it all the time or do you do it some of the time? Because again, it feels like there are stretches where things aren't that bad, and they're not that far off, and they've had the, they had those leads on the road. But it's in the moments where that those habits disappear or wane, the breakdowns have been so extreme that you know it, it's you know, it's cross ice through the seam one timer, you know back door that type of opportunity, those great A's, and it's at inopportune times. And so, to me, part of this evaluation. And this is, you can talk about rebuild or cap and the decision on JT to lock up that much money to an aging player being questionable there. But to me, this is the question that surrounds him and a lot of the leadership group is, and I banged on this drum before, like, I don't know how many of their best players have those habits. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they ever have. And so now, as you, as you see those mistakes pile up and, and become costly yet again at the start of the season when the pressure is on, that's got to be part of the evaluation here, right? Like, do you who who are you winning with? Because to me, it's not about defensive system or structure. Yeah. It's about who takes care of the details on a night in night out yeah. basis. Those habits of being in the right place and doing the right things. And I don't know that this group has ever been one where there's a lot of them that do that consistently. And so, figuring out who's willing to do that work and put that work in and play that way at the top end of the lineup. And set that example is a big part of who you move forward with if you are going to shake things up. Well, those habits, where you talk about it, and that dedication—I mean, that—that's how you become a, a winning team. Is by, by you know, and I know people always get upset when they hear you know talk about good habits and talk about doing the right things, but they do matter. I mean, teams that switch off, players that switch off and allow egregious mistakes to happen, are players that usually don't have a lot of success long term on winning teams. Like those types of things can keep happening. And for all the talk about Boudreaux, and yeah, we can sit here and, and discuss whether some of the tweaks make sense and whether they should be trying to do this or trying to do something else and I have a theory about that which I'll throw by you coming up in a little bit here but it all it comes down to buy-in and not just buy-in to, to your system but buy-in to being a professional buy-in to being a real winner and that means you can't switch off on shifts that means you have to go to where you're supposed to go and do what you're supposed to do defensively and at least give your team a chance not to have that egregious breakdown but too often these players switch off and I think that's the biggest indicator because we saw the same thing last year Kevin right I mean same stuff in the beginning of the year they tried different system stuff but if the players aren't trying hard enough to be professionals. I don't care what system you're trying to play. And I thought there was a lot of that, you know, I don't even know if you have to read between the lines. Like he practically came out and said all of what you're saying today, Patrick Aldean. And, and again, it's, you know, playing as a team, playing as a group, like that's buy-in stuff. Right. And, and, you know, there's a lot of young players here too, that have to learn that. Right. Like, like, you know, like we, we talk about the Hoglanders and the Pud Colsons and, um, you know, as much as we want to focus on the big names, the Millers and the Horvats, like it's all of them. And so, you know, I mean, don't forget, these guys come from an organization in Pittsburgh, both Alvin and, and Rutherford's last stop, at least, where like that, that culture, another word that's been thrown around, was driven by Sidney Crosby, who's relentless 
in his pursuit of expectation or his pursuit of excellence and the expectation that everyone else is going to pull on the rope, not just in the same direction, but with the same veracity on a day in day out basis. When your standard is set by, you know, I mean, I'm talking about a generational talent, but not just talent, like drive determination and work ethic. Like when you're, when that's what sets your standard, others have to follow And when you hear the comments today about some of those habits and about some of those tendencies and figuring out who does it and that they need their best players and their young players to do it more often, you know, that's to me where the evaluation has to continue for this group in terms of who you move forward with, whether you rebuild, whether you retool, I don't care what name you put on it. You need to make sure that the guys that stick around buy in at that level. So um, Thursday, Friday, there's a back-to-back for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we there know is. The, we Pittsburgh's know, here already. Yeah, we know we know the situation they're in. Um, do you think you know the, the way that they – or is it easier to use Spencer Martin with, with Demko not performing at his highest level anyhow? Well, you have to use Spencer Martin in one of the two. Yeah. Are, you, are you just – which one do you? Do you do – you, Yeah. Man, like I, my temptation would be to play Spencer tomorrow night in Seattle and have Demko here – for the back end of back-to-back. And I know that goes against, you know, your number one gets the front end of the back-to-back and you give the tired one to your backup. Yeah, do you think um, do you think teams should should use, you know, their number one goalie when they're more tired? Because in theory, he's going he's gonna to have well, a tougher that, workload? Well, that's kind of what I thought. Like, give him the extra day, right? Yeah. Like, give him the extra day and, and, and bring him back here. But, like, at this point, they're so desperate to put one in the W column yeah. that uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's Thatcher in Seattle, um, even if that is one day less rest. I mean, we're early in the season. I don't think you know rest is an issue for him. Mm-hmm. And just try and make sure you get that one and then see what you can do against. Like I said, Pittsburgh's here already. they got to practice at Rogers Arena tomorrow. And they're angry because they just lost two in Alberta. Like They're, they're going to be a handful on Friday. You're going to be tired. You're already depleted. I mean, hey, let man, like the loss of Curtis Lazar, that's that's not good either for three to four weeks. So um, I'm not sure which way they, they'll go. If they weren't 0-5-2, I'd be more inclined to say Spencer in Seattle and Thatcher against Pittsburgh. But given the, cir- given the circumstances, uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they went the other way. Hey, hey listen, like, like tonight in Rangers Islanders, like we were all excited for Georgiev against uh, Shesterkin last night in in the Rangers in Colorado coming to town with former Rangers goalie Alexander Georgiev playing for them now and like what a great you know like great setting great performance by Georgiev but what nobody seemed to recognize is it set up a game against the Islanders tonight for the Rangers which is the second end of back to back and because they played Shesterkin last night that means it's Jaroslav Halak tonight against the Islanders. Do you remember what happens every time Yaroslav Halak plays the Islanders mm. since he left the Islanders? Like, that's a situation where the no-brainer decision was to start Shusherkin last night. But looking at it, you know, now I'm like, I'm curious to see how this goes because that's a track record that, you know, raises alarm bells. And in retrospect, they may regret going that way, even if that's just the, the way you do it. Your number one plays the first, your backup plays the second. Well, if your backup has a history of not getting through the second when it's against that team, that puts your starter in an even worse situation. So I've got a close eye on that one tonight. And that's the type of thinking I need. I think we need to get to and away from the traditional, oh, hey, it's back-to-back, so starter gets number one. Like, let's think this through a little bit more. 
but a lot of teams don't. No, they don't. Now, before we let you go, uh, so last year we saw the Canucks try to play a bit different with their style, be more controlled in how they played, and they really struggled in generating chances, and they still gave up a lot of high-danger chances despite controlling the raw shot share. So far this year, same kind of story. They're trying to play different, be a bit more controlled. They control the shot share sometimes, but they're not controlling the differentials, and you know they're giving up a lot of different chances. Does that beg the question that the best style for this team was what Boudreaux initially identified when he got here, which was just throw the puck up, we'll hunt 50-50s, and try to get down low and try to create pressure because that's the best we can do. Is that maybe the best you can ask for with this group? I think it's a fair question to ask. I think they see enough signs, although, again, most of these comments, I mean, I went and talked to players, and I love being back in because you can actually go have conversations outside of scrums and just bounce things up, guys, and try and figure this out as opposed to always having a microphone in their face and everything being recorded. And, you know, again, so the caveat is this was before the Carolina game when, let's be honest, they just got pinned. And maybe a little, as, as, as Drancer calls it, punt and hunt might have been in order. But up until that point, I think they felt like they were as much as there were breakdowns in the support and they, and they tended to lead to glaring mistakes and, and grade A chances, they felt like for the most part they were in a better position to move the puck out cleaner with the changes they'd made. And so as tempting as it is to just agree with you and say, yes, just go back to throwing it up to the middle and seeing if your forwards can win a race or win a battle and create offense that way. I think you know, there is a belief, not just obviously within the organization that they needed to do it different, but amongst some of the defensemen I talked to that, that this can and will work. They just need everyone to continue to stay on the same page from the puck drop to the end of the night and, you know, get away from some of those mistakes within those changes. So it's a fair question, Sat. You may end up, like, proven right. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying it's my conclusion. Already, it's a just. A, it's a question. A general question. I yeah. Mean. Yeah. It, it is a fair question at this point. But I think in talking to some of the guys, like there was, they still see enough there that, like, even off the record, quietly behind the scenes, they're not like this is this is this is we can't play this way. They still think that they can and have success. Mm-hmm. But you know, how much longer if the results don't come remains to be seen. I think. I think. You know, there are other questions in terms of, like, the inability to stick with it. Um, Carolina game on its own raises questions because they just couldn't get out of their own end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that tendency to sit back within it uh, in third periods has, has been an issue. But in terms of the, the changes and getting out of their own end short of that Carolina game, for the most part, they seem to be on board with it. They just feel like they need a little more time to get better with being consistent within it. So I'm not quite ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but man, it's a totally fair question. And if things don't change in a hurry, it's one I think we're going to have to ask a little more pointedly in the coming weeks. Woodley, you're the best. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is uh, the great Kevin Woodley joining us here on Canuck Central. Yeah, great stuff from him. And a general question I have, you yeah. know, and I think there was it's the absolute right pursuit, their pursuit. Yes. Our pursuit. Is that okay, their anyways. pursuit? Anyways, their, their pursuit. <laughs> I, I thought I was trying to get a little clever there. I thought yeah. it was cute. Anyways. <laughs> Dan's you like, no. are so <laughs> clever. But anyways, just joking around. But <laughs> I think part of it was that, hey, you're, you're, I think it made a lot of sense. You want to be better with your systems and all that sort of stuff. 
But sometimes, you know, we always talk about this too. Like you can't make somebody play as something they can't do, yeah. right? And now with Quinn Hughes not being here, it really hurts. The last couple of games makes it look even worse than it is, right? Yeah. But you know, it's they're they're really trying to do their best here to be better as a team system wise. The question is, is it working or not? Uh, they are really testing their resolve right now and how they want to put up into the structure. All right, enough of that. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. One player that has encouraged us from the Canucks and one player that has discouraged us from the Canucks. That's next on Canucks Central.